You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Uh, today we're going to be working on our Back to Basics series again. Uh, our third in our Back to Basics, as you see on the board, Luke 10 will be our first text as we talk about the great commandments. We've been talking about the uh, most basic things in the faith, and we've had two lessons in this series already. We have others that we uh, plan to do. We don't have the order there in particular order, except the two we've done on top, Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord. I don't know of anything more fundamental uh, to the Christian experience and Christian thought than that, except maybe that God made the world. That's the only step farther back you could go. And I think we'll get to that step too. And last time we looked at saving faith, we have some other thoughts of what we might be doing of basic sermons uh, to come. Uh, But today we go to the great commandments. One of the most important things in any endeavor that we might engage in, whether it's work or it's family or school or our, even our hobbies, whether it's a short-term project or a long-term project, is what are the priorities here? And maybe even more than that, what is the primary thing here? What is the raison d'etre? What's the, what's the uh, it that it's all about? And so in our religious activities, in our life before God, we also need to do this and check and see what is it we hope to accomplish? What is the good outcome in this, uh, how do we get to that desired outcome? A question along this line is asked of Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Uh, we'll recognize this as we begin to read it. We won't go to the story today or the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'll make mention of it, but now this is the conversation that leads to that. So Luke 10, 25, and the lawyer stood up. And put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he, now we're back to the lawyer, says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's Deuteronomy 6. Passage called uh, the Shema or the Shema. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But it's a famous passage in Deuteronomy that the Jews took to be at the center of everything. And then a passage from Leviticus. Leviticus 19. And we wouldn't think that buried there deep in all the regulations uh, about the priest uh, was an instruction that they would view as center uh, to uh, their relationship with one another, but it turns out it was, and they were right. And so he answered from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus, and Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. And then he quoted Deuteronomy, do this and you'll live. We'll pause on that Good Samaritan part of this for a little bit later in the lesson, but we'll note that this was about halfway through Jesus' ministry, Jesus was asked this by a lawyer to test him. 
And maybe surprisingly, by the time we're halfway through the ministry of Jesus, when Jesus is tested by lawyers, that he and the lawyer are complete agreement. There's no disagreement at all here about uh, the importance of the question or the content of the answer. Now, the lawyer ended up being tested himself on the application of these truths to his life and the story of the Good Samaritan, I think, would show how uh, woefully narrow his views and his actions were. But there was no disputing that these are the principles, these are the facts, this is what we need to deal with. So, again, just to stress this remarkable fact that Jesus and the Jews upon this question were in complete accord. This comes up again. In Matthew chapter 22, it's also recorded in Mark, but we'll read it from, or excuse me, Matthew uh, 22, yeah, Mark 12, and we'll read it from Mark. But it comes up again on the last day that the synoptics record Jesus being in the temple teaching, when they ask Jesus just question after question after question about the money, about the resurrection, about different things. And so this came to be the last question that they ask Jesus. Uh, Here, again, it's given as a question that was a test. And I I don't know what they thought they'd catch Jesus in at this point on that. Uh, Maybe they thought he would pick another one of the 613 commandments. Uh, That's how the Jews had numbered the commands of the old law. Uh, Maybe they thought he'd give a novel answer uh, so that they could pick it apart. Maybe... They thought he'd go into a long discourse that uh, would kind of lose people, or maybe they thought he'd give something uh, that was was trite and and they could pick at it that way. In any case, the question again is asked, and Jesus gives the same answer to them, to these lawyers, that uh, the prior lawyer had given to him. So again, just the absolute complete agreement of it. Mark 12, 28 beginning. One of the scribes came and began arguing, And recognizing he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is foremost of all? The way that Mark presents it, we'd almost think that he's just asking for, hey, we've got a good teacher here. What's the good teacher say? Uh, Except that Matthew does tell us, no, it it was a testing question. But Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, right, teacher. Boy, I wonder how many times Jesus got that answer. They came to test him. He answers, they go, that is right. Hey, guys, don't look so surprised. He's he's been right all along. But in any case, the man says he's right. And we'll go with that. Right, teacher, you have truly stated he is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so this is an insight that the the scribe here adds, uh, which is exactly right. And which Jesus says, 
uh, that this is correct. Jesus saw he'd answered intelligently. He said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He's got the right spirit of things. Now he just needs the faith in the Messiah. But the lawyer's reiteration and expansion on this answer has the important insight here that true devotion is more than formal ritual. That these things are more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. You you go back to Samuel, his rebuke of Saul, to hearken is better than the fat of rams. Or you go to the prophet Micah, who says compassion is greater than sacrifice. Or you go to the Psalms, where in Psalm 51, David says, at this point, the only thing I can offer is my contrition. I, I don't have any sacrifices to offer. It's also in Psalm 116 and Psalm 40, but we'll read an additional one from Psalm 50. Psalm 50, 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. And so the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the person who is appreciative of what God has done, the person who trusts in God, this is above even the ordained, the, the God-given, the Moses delivered from Sinai sacrifices. This is the place that God places them. So for us, these two great commandments, to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, this is something then that we need to apply. And the first thing we'll do in applying that is we'll have these things as our goal. You know, God's law, his commandments, they have a number of functions. One of the things that they do, well, under the law of Moses, it established the political entity of the nation, it established the structure of society. Then also it taught the people in their own uh, personal lives of, of their morality and the things that they should do and seek. So there was a teaching aspect of the law. And then lastly, we'll see, there is always a condemning or accusing aspect of the law. But we'll hold off on that for a bit. Let's think about this teaching aspect of this. Once we know that we should love the Lord our God in this way and love our neighbor as ourselves, then we have our goal set out before us. We now know what the North Star of morality is. We don't have to guess. Which direction are we headed? Which way is up? Which way is down? What is dark? What is light? Our compass uh, has been set. The landmark that we need to head for has been pointed out. And so let's head in that uh, direction. In Psalm 31, we have this, verse 23 and 4. Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful. And fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who hope in the Lord. So if you love the Lord. If you hope in the Lord. He will take care of you. God will be with you. And you will be with God. But again what is this? We need this goal of loving the Lord. I think about the striking uh, pair. And they they should be seen as a pair. Uh, The pair of loving God passages in 1 Corinthians. We have this of 1 Corinthians 8. 
If anyone loves God, he's known by him. Oh, that's wonderful. But also 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, he's to be accursed. Maranatha. So Jesus come quickly. Lord come quickly. And so there it is set before us. If we love God, he knows us. He's with us. Like over in 1 John, if anyone says he knows God but doesn't follow his commandments, you know, he hasn't really done it. Yeah, if we love God, then he, he is known by him. But if we don't love the Lord, we're on the path to being cursed. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we really love the Lord? Do we put the Lord first? Do we follow this great commandment of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Oh, sorry, I didn't put that up there for you. So our goal has been set. And we should see you know, the outcome of that goal. The outcome is provision of God. The outcome is uh, uh, God preserving us. Or the outcome is being accursed because of the way we love God or we don't. When we think about in the book of Galatians when the Apostle Paul, after having dealt with all that false doctrine about people thinking they could get to uh, the Lord and have all the benefits of the Spirit by keeping the law, by not by coming uh, by faith in Christ, but of law-keeping and of circumcision, the Apostle Paul concluded this. He said, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. That's, that, that's the conclusion of the book of Galatians. What matters? Faith working through love, right? And so it's always a faith. That's when we, we get distracted at times by things of faith alone and contra, uh, uh, trying to put faith in works and sort all that out. The Apostle Paul sorts it out this way. Faith works. Faith works through love. That's what you need. You need the faith that's working through love. That's the thing that matters. And so the life of faith and faith working through love. And so that's the first part of the teaching aspect of God's commandments. And then beyond that especially, so we're talking more there in the first part about the things toward God. And now we think about our, our, our life toward our neighbors. Of loving our neighbor as ourself. That, the, that we are taught this very much as well in these commandments. The love of God is tied up all the time in our keeping of his commandments. But what kind of commandments? Well, commandments that are not burdensome, we've been taught uh, by, by the apostles. Uh, a yoke that's easy and a burden that's light, said the Lord himself, but still commandments to follow. And what kind of commandments? Commandments so oftentimes about our love and treatment of others. So back to the story of the Good Samaritan. I said we'd go back there briefly. The lawyer, when he found this out, you know, he'd gone to test Jesus. But when Jesus told him, that, well, just do what you know to do, which is love others as, as yourself. He tried to love your neighbors yourself. He tried to get out of that a bit or, or quibble about it or shift or confuse by, by asking the, the question, well, uh, who is my neighbor? And so let's get into a jurisdictional question here, right? 
so uh, is, is this neighbor too close or this neighbor too far? Uh, how many degrees of separation uh, do, do I need to have before I'm excused? And Jesus just cuts to the heart of the matter in the story of the Good Samaritan. And he asked at the end, who was the neighbor? Well, the neighbor was the helper. right? And then that neighbor did that neighbor did well. What Jesus taught us there is an affirmative, du- affirmative duty to care, to love, and to act for others. So in these great commandments, it's not just enough to agree with them. Now, we really ought to agree with them, right? I don't know how much you're going to do good for the Lord if you don't agree uh, with what God says. But it's more than just agreeing. It's actually having this shape what you think, and it changes what you approve or disapprove based on what God approves or disapproves and what is helpful or unhelpful, what is loving or not for your neighbor. And so you're going to think not just about yourself. It's not just an inward exercise here, but you're going to think about others in it all the time. And so Psalm 97.10, hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. And so it says here, God delivers from the hand of the wicked. God preserves and we're to hate evil. Well, think about this in context of the story of the Good Samaritan. Who was it who very much acted in delivering the man after he was injured? Who very well might have saved his life? Who definitely improved uh, his uh, chances and comfort in recovery? Who showed him great love and compassion? Well, it was the Samaritan. So could the Samaritan, or excuse me, could the man who was injured, uh, should he be thanking the Samaritan for that deliverance? Or should he be thanking God? Well, of course, we know there'd be no difference, right? The Samaritan, they're acting in righteousness, is the messenger of God, right? That Samaritan was God's agent. And so are you, and so am I. Every time we hate evil, every time we help preserve the souls of the godly, every time we deliver somebody from something that has befallen them or might befall them. And so it's, it's beyond just you know, not liking that. Oh, I hate that that happened to him. That's terrible. Right. All right, well, yeah. in the book of James, be warm, be filled, right? Or, in the story of the Good Samaritan, hey, I uh, hope, hope that bleeding stops soon. All right, I'll, I'll see you. He, he did something. Uh, he, he helped. And so we end up having a living uh, life beyond just ourselves, we always have to take in thought of anything. What does God want? And what helps my neighbor? And that ends up becoming a weighty thing. And that ends up becoming a thing that, that matters deeply in the way that we live. But Jesus said about this in John fourteen twenty three, He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Well, I'd like that because I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want him uh, to come and be with me and make his abode with me. Well, uh, keep Jesus said, keep my word. But he who does not love me does not keep my word. 
And so there we see obedience tied to this commandment. And we see this obedience then obviously stretching to other people as we have this active and faithful obedience to all that God teaches. Hatred of evil, an active doing good, a care for others, and a caring for ourselves. Well, as I say that, again, the teaching aspect of this, to teach us what to do. The sanctification aspect of this, for those who are in Christ to to lead a life that is holy in this. But also in all of this comes, and this, this is there in every single instruction. In every single moral ought, in everything that we should do, and every time we tell people what they should do, is there comes with it the hint at least, sometimes more than a hint, the whiff, the stench, sometimes more than just a whiff of accusation. Because have I done that? Have, are there times in my life I think, as I read the story of the Good Samaritan, oh man, that reminds me of that time I should have helped that guy. That reminds me of the time I didn't help them. It might remind me sometimes I did help other people. But doesn't it also, in all of this, remind us in being so clearly instructed and so thoroughly instructed and fully instructed of what we ought to do, it reminds us of what we didn't. And so every teaching of the commandment, every teaching of the law, everything has in it a show of why I need grace. Because every time I find, as I study this, and I say these words that you hear, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not loving anything else and even a bit with all your strength, with all your mind, with all that you are, with all that you have. It's like, well, I might have been loving some other stuff too. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I don't know if I loved them that much. But I mean, after all, have you met him? Have you seen him? He's kind of annoying. No, but I'm still to love him as myself. And so every time we we read the clear teaching of God on these things, and I don't don't know how to explain love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength more than just to read it. If if I gave you the lexicon definition of every single one of those words in Greek, would that help? No, I'm getting the way. We know what that means. Usually the more we explain it, the less it means. So what do we do with that? Well, we, in this one and others, I find just how far that I have fallen from the standard of, of loving God first and foremost and always with everything of me. But then I run across a whole bunch of other instructions as well. I am to love my wife as my own body. Or she's to submit to me as, Christ, as the church does to Christ. I'm to live with her in an understanding way. I'm to train up my children in the way of the Lord and not provoke them to wrath. Just ask them, I'll let you know how I failed that one. On numerous occasions, they'll give you dates and times. I'm supposed to honor my parents. 
They'll be nice when they come here to visit, but don't ask them. Don't ask them on the details. I'm supposed to do my job heartily as working for the Lord, well, especially in ministry, but we're all supposed to do that in every job. I'm supposed to fully love the brethren. I'm supposed to regard them, Philippians 2, as more important than myself, having the same attitude as Christ has. I'm supposed to turn my other cheek to the enemies. I'm not supposed to return insults or threats with insults and threats, but instead I'm supposed to give a blessing. I'm supposed to cheerfully give to the Lord while being content with my wages and what I have. I'm supposed to do good to all men. I'm supposed to control my tongue, which even in Scripture, James says, a fire is a deadly thing that no one can contain, but I'm supposed to do it. I'm supposed to demonstrate all of the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm supposed to abstain from all the work of the flesh. And every time I read those things and see those things, there is a guiding principle in that. There is a guidance in that. There's a help in that. There's a strengthening in that to do those things better. But honestly, there's also in every one of those, there's an accusation in it. And a remembrance of when I didn't. And I can't imagine it's anything else but that for you. And so then what do I do when I realize I didn't fully, really love God with all my heart and my soul and my strength? When I gave my attention and my focus and my energy to something else. I've still yet to set up an idol in the corner and worship it, but Ezekiel tells me not to have idols in my heart either, and you know, I know the whole shelf of those. So what do I do with these things? Well... In this, for those that loved God, was what? There was the comfort that God would help us. And God knows who we are, and God knows how we are. And what does inspiration say about us going through life in these things? James 3, we all stumble in many ways. That's what James says. John tells us, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. The truth isn't in us. That's in 1 John 1. The Hebrew writer says, there are encumbrances and sin that so easily entangles us. And so they go, oh, it's just hopeless then. I can't love God fully. I'm going to stumble in many ways. I get tangled up all the time, and I sin. Yes, you do. And who knows that, and who made provision for that? Who knew that when he sent his son to die for you? And so whatever the sin is, there's always this hope that the blood of Christ covers that too. It covers your sin and it covers mine. It covers your parents' sin. Think about the resentments in this world of people, all the fault they have with their parents. Or think about that it covers the sins of your children too. It covers the sin of your neighbors too. And we have this thought from Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities... O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. You know, in all of these things, I, our conscience, especially when it's tender, especially when we recognize just how much we should do, how far we fall short, our conscience can be like the worst schoolmarm of any drama's imagination 
got the lady going around with the red pen and the clipboard. She's got the red pen marking down things with one hand, and then oh, second hand, she's holding the clipboard, and with the third hand, she's got the ruler whacking it. She's got three hands. She's also got eyes in the back of her head. The skull marm of terrible imagination. If this is our picture of God, we're going to be terrible, miserable people. We're going to be tormented people. But Psalm 130, if you, Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. God is not going around with the red pen and the ruler looking for all the ways we failed. He does know them. There's no doubt of that. But this is not his hobby. This is not, his, this is not what he does for entertainment, to count all the ways we failed. His delight is in those that love him. As Mary in the Magnificat, Luke 1.50 said, His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. It's a multi-generational mercy. We need to have that picture of God as well as the picture, or maybe instead of the picture, of the stern old guy just looking to find fault. That quote from the Psalms in Luke 150 by Mary, that is from Psalm 103. And I thought, the more I studied it, I think we're just going to read most of that. And that'll be our conclusion today. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. This is for us who try to live within the great commandments of loving God and loving the neighbor. This is how God receives those who do. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things. Down to verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us. He will not keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his command, who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his house in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word. Obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his host, who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his. 
in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. For those who fear him, and if you are striving to keep the great commandments, that is the fear of the Lord. What are the blessings? So yes, there's always the tinge in hearing the commands. The greatest ones and the other ones too. There's always the tinge of failure, of fault, of, of conscience that I didn't do that as I should have. Yes, but did you fear the Lord? Did you seek the Lord? Do you bless the Lord? And as one who fears him, will he bless you? And so there is the comfort. And so we need to look at what God has told us to do, taking it seriously in a way that fears him. Understanding the priorities, understanding the main thing. The main thing is to love God and to love your neighbor. Through that, the rest of it and the blessings flow. Well, that will close. Asking you this morning if you need to come to Christ, the one who saves us, if you're not in Christ, when that accusing spirit comes, when that remembrance of guilt hits you, what's your hope? To get rid of it. What's your hope of absolution? What's your hope of forgiveness? He is the propitiation. He is the way of atonement. It is him and him alone. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.